0: I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Do you recognize the Holy Spirit? It's kind of a loaded question. I mean, we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of Pentecost, right, where the... The, uh, the tongues of fire came down and rested upon the apostles in the upper room, and then they went out and they spoke of the mighty acts of God, and they spoke it in the languages of the people who were gathered around there. We think of something uh, overt and demonstrative, boisterous, but we also think of the Holy Spirit coming down upon Jesus in his baptism like the dove, in the form of a dove, In hearing the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, And so, again, we see something demonstrative. We see something overt. But I also think of Elijah, who there on the mountain waiting for the voice of God, saw an earthquake and a ball of fire. And the Lord was not in those things. And then there was an utter stillness, a quiet moment. And the voice of the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, spoke to the prophet Elijah in the stillness. And the stillness was perhaps the most uncomfortable and the most frightening of all of those things, of the earthquake and the ball of fire, and it was the stillness that he heard God ask him that uncomfortable question what are you doing here? <laughs> and of course, he, he did his best to answer. But it became clear to him that he was there, far away, having traversed uh, a desert. He was there on that mountain because he hadn't waited. He hadn't listened. He was feeling sorry for himself. And so he ended up there. How often do we find ourselves going off on our own and not waiting for the Holy Spirit and having to reorient ourselves after the fact? I think of the apostles uh, at at the ascension. They turn to Jesus, and Jesus is getting ready to leave them, and he's poured out his heart to them, and he's told them everything about who he is, uh, that they can bear to stand, and he's promised that he will send the spirit of truth that will guide them into all truth later. And he's, he's given them this, and rather than just being content with that, rather than uh, accepting what God has told them, what, what Christ the Lord has told them, they say, hey, Jesus, is this when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, he spent three years with these folks and talking about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God and, and over and over telling stories that that would lead them to hopefully understand that God's kingdom doesn't look like the kingdom that you expect. And just as he's about to leave, they ask that question. Is this now? Is now the time that you're going to do it? Because you're about to leave. Surely you have to do it before you leave, Right. And he turns to them and says, it's not for you to know the days or the times or the hours, but you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes. Wait here a little bit longer, and the the gift will come to you that I promised you. Wait here, and then you will be my witnesses. You see, when we move forward without consulting God, without listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. When we just plow forward into the agenda, even the one that we think that God has for us, when we just plow forward without consulting God, we very often end up doing the wrong thing. And so the, the disciples, they waited. They waited from the ascension to Pentecost, those probably excruciating 10 days. And there they were, not sure what was going to happen next. Christ was resurrected and he spent 40 days with him and he proved to them beyond a shadow of doubt in their minds that he was God, that he risen from the dead and all of his power uh, was doing a new thing, that theophany had come, God was with us, and then he was gone. Now what? What next? What am I supposed to do now, God? Very often we feel like that. We have some profound experience, some profound conversion, uh, maybe at a parish mission, maybe just in prayer time one day, and then we think, now what do I do? I think the answer for us is the same as the answer for the apostles. Wait for the promised spirit. Wait. We don't like waiting. We like to get up and move on and and feel like we're accomplishing something. But the apostles could never have accomplished the mission that Christ gave to them if they had not waited for the Holy Spirit. They had to wait. And so too, even we who have been recipients of the Holy Spirit through baptism and through confirmation, you and I still to this day have to wait for the promised Spirit, to wait in prayer to wait in devotion before we get all busy with bringing about the kingdom of heaven. We pray and we listen and we wait because what God calls us to do, uh, yes, we know the overarching thing. We are to to usher in God's kingdom of, of holiness and of justice. We're to live lives of virtue and righteousness, yes, but we're also to notice the lost, and the outcast. We're also to keep our eyes attuned to finding Christ in disguise among the poor, doing to the least of these as we do unto Christ. And that takes training our eyes. That takes listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, oh, right there, go and do that thing right now that divine interruption from our plans, to align ourselves with the plans of God. We're talking today about evangelization, which comes out of that relationship with the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking with my favorite guest, Joe Heschmeyer, right when we come back, so don't go anywhere. Why don't you go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click a Patreon link. And look at how you can help us bring this show week in and week out, support the show, and get extra content each and every week. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Joe Heschmeyer right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today uh, we're doing everything a little bit late. Uh, we, we pushed back Pentecost last week. Not really. I mean, Pentecost happened, uh, but we, we didn't talk about it last week because we had the, uh, a conversation with, um, with Dr. Feingold about the Eucharist and the real presence, and I really wanted to get that in. And so this week, we're going to talk a little bit about Pentecost, and next week, we're going to talk about Trinity Sunday, and eventually, we'll catch up. Uh, but we're talking with our, our favorite guest, my favorite guest and yours, Joe Heschmeyer. He's an instructor and an interim program director for the, the Catholic Spiritual Mentorship Program at the Holy Family School of Faith, schooloffaith.com, schooloffaith.com. He's at the, uh, the Kansas City Branch. Joe, thanks for coming on today.
1: My pleasure, Timothy. Thanks for having me on. Although I've got to say, I'm no comparison to Dr. Feingold, who's an old professor of mine.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did a fantastic job. So I got this book in the mail, this 621-page treatise, systematic theology, basically, on the Eucharist. You'll have to go back to the archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com, and with everyone else, uh, take a listen to it. So let's talk today uh, about Pentecost. We get, this, uh, we get this idea sometimes in American culture that evangelism is the same thing as proselytizing. We conflate the two, and we, we may use the term evangelism, but we hear and picture proselytizing in our mind of the, let me ask you two questions, where are you going to go when you die? I've got to get you saved today, right? Uh, and I've got to have all the right answers for you. Or we think of Pentecostal in terms of maybe the Pentecostal holiness movement, and it's very demonstrative. And we Catholics were a little bit antsy with those ideas. And yet, here in our readings, even uh, this coming Sunday, we have the the Great Commission: go into all the world and make disciples. Uh, and I note there that. It's a process. Make disciples, not create converts, not uh, you know convince people, but to craft and to to uh, develop someone into a, a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. So let's take just a moment and maybe talk about the distinction between our picture of evangelization and what Christ is actually calling us to.
1: Yeah. So I think our picture of evangelization is often one where. To even be able to start the conversation, you have to be able to answer every possible objection anyone anywhere could possibly throw at you. Mm -hmm. It feels really daunting, right? You know, you think, oh, what if they ask me about this really fine point of doctrine? Or what if they ask me about X, Y, or Z? And so we get freaked out and we don't do it. Mm -hmm. Or we are aware that maybe our lives aren't as holy as we wish they were. And we think, who am I to uh, present the gospel to other people because— I'm not that holy, they're going to look at this and they're going to be scandalized, which I'll tell you that may be true depending on how how we're living. So I think we we get this idea that to be able to evangelize we have to be perfect, Mm -hmm. or we get the idea that evangelization is just hitting somebody over the head with the truth, like why don't you understand Matthew (laughs) 16, or haven't you read John 6, and if we just yell that at them long enough Mm -hmm. that they'll stop being wrong. And that's just not at all um, an effective way to go about bringing people to the truth. If you alienate people, they're not going to care what you have to say. There's a, a kind of hokey, but nevertheless true statement that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Mm-hmm. Then, unless you're investing in them individually, unless you're giving some sign that you're actually concerned for their well-being. And not just being right under the guise of like saving their souls when you're really just like like being right. Mm-hmm. You're only going to be effective if they feel that you care about them, if they feel that you love them, and if if they feel like you have something that they want.
0: You know, I think um, a, a lot of times, and this may—I don't know if this is a symptom of our culture or if it is a symptom of this picture of evangelization as proselytizing. But w- one, we're scared to say, I don't know, to a question. But secondly, there's this idea that we don't really know how to have a conversation anymore. We we listen just long enough to formulate what our answer is going to be, rather than listening to the question. And I'm very interested in, you, you look through the Gospels, and you see Jesus interacting with people, and they ask him a question. And he actually, part of this is because he's God, of course, but he actually hears what it is that they're really asking instead of just their words. So the guy says to him, uh, you know, can you, can you do this? And he can you heal me? And he says, your sins are forgiven. Right. Or comes to the man at the pool of Salome who is obviously waiting to get in to be, uh, to experience the miracle waters that are there. And he says, do you want to be made whole? And he's asking the deeper question and listening to the, the deeper question that they're asking uh, and sometimes the answers seem like they're out of left field, but, but it's because he's not just trying to formulate the right thing to say.
1: Yeah, he really is investing in them as individuals. And part of that is recognizing what's actually going on with them. So there's this great, uh, it's a chapel talk that a guy named Jay Budachowski, he's a professor from down in Texas. He gives this talk at a Westmont College. You can find it on YouTube. It's about half an hour long. And he's talking about natural law, and his point is that God has written His law and his most basic elements on every human heart; that there are certain moral truths that you can't not know. Right. He's got a book. By double that negative there is yeah. yeah. And so we have this idea with evangelization that we have to pump in knowledge, and in fact, what we often has to do have to do is elicit was already latent knowledge. And we have to let people realize things maybe they know and don't realize they know, or things they know and are pretending not to know to themselves or to others, right. or desires on their heart that maybe they haven't been attentive to. So it's a much more delicate, sensitive, and personal process than just treating the other person as a bucket in which to pour in knowledge. So that's I think that's one issue. The other thing is the very first thing you said That we're afraid to say, I don't know. And here we have to remember who it is who's doing the evangelization. That ultimately, only God can change a heart. He chooses to use us if we're willing. And we can resist that. We can impede his divine process. But we can't cause it to happen on our own power. And God is God. He's all powerful. He doesn't need us to cover for him. (laughs) So we don't have to worry that someone's going to throw up an objection that's going to defeat God, Mm -hmm. the most they're going to do is make us acknowledge our own ignorance. But here's the thing. C.S. Lewis makes this point brilliantly in Mere Christianity. We admire and respect humility in everyone else. If you raise an objection in a conversation and someone else says, you know what, that's a really good question. I want to find out more about that. And give you a meaningful answer because your question is good enough Mm -hmm. to warrant a serious bit of reflection, research, and response, not just some flip-off-the-cuff answer. Let's come back in a week and talk again. Now, when someone does that to us, we're like, wow, that's really impressive. But whenever we have the urge to do that, we're like, oh, we can't do that. They'll think we're stupid. Right. Well, where is that coming from? Like, that's not coming from God. That don't be humble is never <laughs> something Jesus calls us to.
0: We're talking today with Joe Heschmeier. Uh Joe, th- this this idea that and I think part of it is we don't really even know how to say I don't know. Because it's like, oh, man, I'm stumped. I don't know. And the way that you just said I don't know, but well, it sounds, you know, pretty erudite. Oh, that's a really good question. And I think sometimes we're even scared that I won't I won't be able to even come up with a good I don't know like that.
1: <laughs> I think just knowing that there are going to be things you don't know and kind of having your I don't know ready. Mm-hmm. Cuz here's the thing about the I don't know I just described, it's a freebie. It gets you a follow-up. Right. Like you have one deep conversation with someone about Catholicism and you really want to have another one. But both you and the other person are awkward about being like, hey, let's do this again. Maybe you stumbled into it. And so you don't want to be like, hey, a week from now, same time, same place, same conversation. (laughs) But the thing is, both of you on some level want that or you wouldn't be having the conversation.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So it's with the opportunity to take an area you don't know to number one, show the person you respect them by acknowledging the validity in the intellectual coherence of their questions, and even their objections, uh, that those, you know, those are good, thoughtful points. You're recognizing that they're thinking about this. You're acknowledging it explicitly and validating it. And then you're saying, basically, it's not about you. You're making it not about your own brilliance or your own holiness, and rather about the one to whom you're testifying. Right. And third, you're getting a follow-up right there. So it's, I think it's a good it's a good thing to keep in your back pocket, at least, You know how to say I don't know. The other thing is
0: that that kind of an I don't know and that kind of a conversation is, is based on genuine interest. You know, maybe you've got someone who's antagonistic and they're just asking you questions. Well, that relationship may or may not get to a relationship of true discipleship. What you can do is give the best answers you can, and do that in humility, and then realize that, as Paul said, one person plants, another person waters, another person harvests. Maybe that's not the relationship that you're needing to be a part of, but just to be available uh, to recognize that there are going to be those that I'm going to invest in. And I'm not, it's not the kind of thing of, oh, well, come to church so that, that church can straighten you out. Uh, I'm going to actually invest in a conversation with you because I find you interesting and I. I find your life interesting. And and so we're going to have a a meeting of the
1: minds, as it were. You know, I think there's a really good point there, too, that sometimes you'll find someone who just has objection after objection after objection. I mentioned Jay Budachowski a minute ago, and he has a great example of this. He had a student who was objecting. I think it was to the existence of God. It may have been to pro-life, may have been to Catholic. It doesn't matter. There was some point on which he, this student had objection after objection. And every time, Shasky would answer one of them, there'd be two more. Right. And finally, in a moment of brilliance, in a moment of real insight, and really a sensitivity to the person and the situation, he said this, all right, here's a thought experiment. Let's say, and I'm not even saying I could do this, but let's say that I spent the next two weeks, and I answered every one of your objections, to your satisfaction. Would you convert then?" And the student said, no, no. And he said this was a moment of clarity for the student mm-hmm. that he thought it was about these intellectual reasons. Right. But once he realized that even if he'd seen some sort of rational case for every one of his objections it wouldn't change his position, he had to reckon with the fact that something else was actually the issue. So then, Budachowski takes the next step and says, okay, So that's not what it's about. He's just moved away two weeks worth of cantankerous conversation and said, so what is it really about? And he allowed the student to pour out his heart and open up to the other issues. Because here's the thing, those of us, and I think this is especially true of men, but it's true of men and women. Mm -hmm. We want it to be an intellectual thing. Right. We don't want it to be an emotional wound. We don't want it to be some sort of visceral reaction. We don't want it to be. I want to do this sin, and God tells me I won't, so I choose not to believe in Him. Right. We want it to be, I've carefully researched all the evidence, because that's a respectable sounding answer. Yeah. But that just isn't, I mean, look look at the uh, the big TV shows and tell me most people are analyzing issues carefully.
0: Yeah. We're talking today with Joe Heshmeyer about making disciples, entering into the, the discipleship relationship. There's much more to come right after this as we continue that conversation. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. But don't go anywhere because we'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer. He's an instructor and in the interim program director of the Catholic Spiritual Mentorship Program at Holy Family School of Faith. Go to schooloffaith.com and find out if they're in your area and how they can help you. Joe, thanks for coming here today. My pleasure. Of course, you've got a lot else going on. You've got uh, shamelesspopery.com that you've blogged at for ages. It's how I first came to know you. You've also got a new podcast, 15 episodes in currently. You can find that. It's The Catholic Podcast. Find it over at cathpod.com, C-A-T-H-P-O-D.com. We're talking today about discipleship. Uh, at, at Pentecost, we see the apostles go out and 3,000 people were added to the church in a single day. We went from, as our, uh, my pastor talked about last week, the whole Christian church and the entirety of the whole world could fit in a single room. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they go out. And 3,000 were added to their number in that day because, not because that they had the greatest uh, preaching points ready, and not even because of the great signs and wonders that accompanied them as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, but because when the Holy Spirit came upon them, They paid attention and they went outside, right? It's that first step.
1: Exactly. So if you want to know like how to begin the process of discipleship, it's not go strike up a conversation. It's not go pump your knowledge into someone else's brain. It's go to the chapel. It's go pray. It's go kneel by your bed. So we need these two things at the beginning in the middle at the end of the process, prayer and sacrifice sacrifice will strengthen your prayer and make it more effective that could be fasting it could be offering up your sufferings it could be taking on some voluntary penance and you should do this in a few ways so i mean as you said you know the apostles at pentecost are a great example of it what immediately preceded that the world's first novena there's a nine-day stretch from after the ascension of the lord they have every reason to be timid jesus rose from the dead but then he just went into heaven and they're stupefied, they're dumbfounded, they feel unqualified, unprepared. People want them dead, both of them the Jewish community and the Roman government. They're, as you said, they're a small enough band that they fit in one room. If the authorities bust in at the right time, you end Christianity in an afternoon. Right. They have to feel really vulnerable, and what do they do? They don't say, I'm not good out for this, I'm just a fisherman. No, they turn to prayer. And they pray, and they pray, and they pray. And after the first eight days, you know what happens? Nothing. And they keep praying. (laughs) That's right. You know, so it's, it's on that last day, on the ninth day of the novena, that they really have these prayers answered. And the Holy Spirit descends, you know, tongues of fire. Gregory the Great has a great explanation, by the way, of why the Holy Spirit appears as a dove and as flame. Because he's talking about the need to both like basically energize and kick some butt on the one hand and be a source of peace and docility on the other. He doesn't word it quite like that, but (laughs) it's that basic. But so these tongues of fire come down and St. Peter really convicts people. He goes out there. He doesn't just open the doors to the upper room in which they're basically hiding behind locked doors. He goes out there and declares that Jesus is greater than King David. In the middle of Jerusalem on a Jewish feast day, he's throwing bombs into the crowd. You know, like this is a provocative homily, which I think we can sometimes lose sight of. And that only is because he first just immersed himself and drenched himself in prayer. So if you're wondering, how do I reach out and how do I disciple other people? A great way to begin is to pray for names Pray for openings of doors, and prayerfully stay attuned. At some point, uh, this is a very easy, concrete step every single listener can and should do. Mm -hmm. Have a list of maybe two or three names of people you're praying for intentionally, by name, every day.
0: And well, here's an interesting thing about that, because we, we like to think, I've got these people in my mind that I have relationship with, and I really want to see them converted, and I'm going to pray for them so that I have an opportunity to speak to them. Very often, our prayers for them are actually going to be answered by someone else because they will listen to someone else closer, more closely than they'll listen to us because they have baggage with us. They know us, Right. So I think of St. Monica who prayed for uh, St. Augustine, and it was Ambrose who came and was the answer to that prayer. And so uh, both, yes, we absolutely need to pray for them, but I think we also need to be attuned to those people who, uh, who someone else is praying for, uh, maybe who remind us of that person we're praying for, and we can speak into their lives uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah, it's not all about Homer. Sometimes an RBI will do the trick. Mm -hmm. You know, that you can play a small part that maybe doesn't get remembered. You know, St. Paul uses the imagery of sowing, which I think is he's expressing the same thing. Sowing and planting and harvesting. It's less interesting than baseball, but (laughs) it's the same basic point that you you may not see it through from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. I think you should try to see it through as much as you can. But based on life circumstances or, as you said, maybe based on the kind of relationship you have, where they're just not open to it from you. Your prayers may be answered in some surprising, unexpected ways. Yeah.
0: We're talking with Joe Heschmeyer from Holy Family School of Faith, and we're talking about creating a, a relationship of discipleship, of what how we answer that that call of Christ to go out and make disciples. You talk about five things, five steps— to this meaningful conversation, to this uh, relationship of discipleship. Take us through those five steps.
1: All right. Now, bearing in mind, this is the fruit of prayer and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So the first step is to befriend. And here's what I mean by that. Seek first to understand. Don't start with, how can I convince you that I'm right about Catholicism? Right. That's a really good way to alienate people and a really bad way to evangelize to them. Now there are times and places. You know, if you're a priest and you're getting up on Sunday, you don't have <laughs> to get to know every single member of the congregation. By all means, there are times and places where you start with, "Here's what's true, good, and beautiful." But more often than not, you'll get a lot more mileage in some more authentic way that respects the the amiable day, respects the fact that every person you encounter is made in the image of God by first getting to know them. So seek first to understand them, get to know their history. Get to know their circumstances get to know their worldview. see where they're coming from and why they're coming from that perspective you know a, a lot of times that simple step will reveal things that are massive issues maybe it's a landmine you need to avoid you know if someone's had a really bad encounter with a priest of some kind or another maybe you have to be delicate around the issue yeah. maybe they've got a reason they don't want to go back to confession that you don't know about as you get to know them, as you really invest in them and affirm them and their dignity as a person, they in turn will reveal a whole world of things that you wouldn't have otherwise known if you'd just gone in guns blazing, here's the doctrine, sign on the dotted line of the Summa. Uh, And so you want to get to know them just because it's good to get to know them, but also because it will reveal more about the process of evangelization. The process of befriending uh, will do a couple of other things, too. You can help to awaken in them a realization of their infinite sadness. Pope Francis talks about this, that the joy of Christ is the only cure for the infinite sadness of the human heart. So right now, as we speak, I'm at the Spiritual Mentorship Program, and I'm in a room with four twin beds, and none of them are comfortable. (laughs) <laughs> and that's, I think, a great image of the world that we have. We have excess, but it doesn't satisfy us. I would trade all four of these for one half decent <laughs> And so we, we live in this world where we have tons of stuff that doesn't make us happy. You can spend five hours on Facebook, and when you log off, you'll be like, no, my spirit doesn't feel refreshed. I don't feel better about my life. I'm not happier. I don't even feel more connected with the people who I might have like, you know, had their news run in front of my glazed over eyes. That's a life. So many of us are living because we're covering up a really deep sadness because every person you meet is made for a relationship with the infinite God. And so if they don't have that, they're not satisfied right now, but they may not know that yet. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that befriending does is it helps to keep an eye out For the doors that are open. See what they think they need. See what they want and what they're conscious of wanting. You want to help them to maybe realize those wants, but different people you're talking to, some of them may have a realization that the life they're living is displeasing to themselves and to God. Some of them may have a desire for more prayer. Some of them may have a, a desire to go back to the sacrament. Some of them may want a community founded on something real and something beautiful. But that's going to be an individual thing. You don't even know what to do in terms of inviting them if you don't know who they are, what they're missing, and what they're cognizant of missing. Right.
0: Uh, so once you have, have done that, you've begun to befriend them and you uh, have some sense of rapport, what, what's the next step?
1: All right. So the second step, and the first step I should warn you, is a long one. So mm. these other steps are shorter. Second step is to invite them. So once you've discerned with them, Uh, the particular area in which they want to grow, invite them there. Because you have the advantage that you have a clearer sense than they do of what they need and want. So, you know, in the same way that like a doctor, you start complaining of aches and pains in your muscles, he might say, oh, you need more potassium, you should eat bananas or whatever. He's in a position where he can say, based on what you're telling me, it sounds like you have a real longing for X, Y, Z. Right. You need more B12, you need more potassium, whatever, I'm not a doctor. Uh, so spiritually, we have this advantage that we can listen to the symptoms people are sharing voluntarily with us. And without rushing to judgment, we can help to invite them. And we, But this invitation, I really want to stress this, this invitation should be personalized. So if they start signaling to you or telling you that they don't know how to pray, you don't just invite them to join the Knights of Columbus. Right. You, you want to make sure that the invitation is responsive to them. Because it's another way of showing that you're listening to them, that you care about them, that you want the best for them. Um, and so, you know, they— That might be any number of things. Maybe they've got a hunger for a better knowledge of Scripture. Maybe they want a more personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe they need to return to the sacraments and they know it, or they need to forgive their sister, or they have to stop watching pornography, or they want to be a part of a Catholic community, or any number of things. So there's a foundational principle that underlies all of this, and it's this. Sanctity is a journey, and everyone, from the greatest sinner to the worst, greatest saint to the worst sinner, can take the next step. None of us are done with our journey, and so all of us have some next step that we can take. And so your role as a friend and as a disciple maker and a mentor uh, is really to just help them figure out what that next step is, and help them to make it. Help them know what the next step they need to make is, how to make it, and then make it easy for them to uh, to take that step.
0: Now we've got just uh, about less than a minute left. So let's get to three and then we'll pop over to the next segment and get those last two. So what are, we, we've uh, invited them. And now
1: we follow up. That's the third step. Don't just tell them to do X, whatever the invitation is, go along with it. Mm-hmm. So if, if they need to go back to confession, don't just say, Hey, look in the bulletin, find a time, right? Say, Hey, St. Matt's has it at 4:30. I'm going to go with you. That way you're not as afraid. Yeah.
0: We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer about discipling, entering into that disciple relationship as uh, a fulfillment of Christ's call to us to go and make disciples of all nations. We're going to extend into this next segment so we can get these last two steps. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer, my favorite guest. He's a blogger, uh, podcaster, and and disciple maker. Find him over at shamelesspopery.com, cathpod.com, and schooloffaith.com, where he is the interim director of the Spiritual Mentorship Program. We're talking about these five steps. Uh, of making disciples, of entering into this discipleship relationship. We've gone through the first three, well, four steps if we include that very most important first step of prayer and sacrifice. Uh, And then we befriend a person. We invite them to enter into that thing that they feel is lacking. We go with them. We follow up. And from there, after we've said, hey, come with me to this Bible study, come with me to this, uh, to
1: confession, to this thing that meets your need. Now what do we do? So the fourth step is to accompany. So this is basically an extended form of following up. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have an initial thing where you have a conversation with them and then you say, you know, let's, let's meet up again in a week. So I can hear how it's going. That's a really easy invitation to make, but with accompaniment, you want to make a journey of it. So one good practice to get into if you're serious about being part of this person's road to sanctity is to try to take every opportunity in which you meet them to make one further meeting Hmm. it may be a one-on-one meeting it may be like a bible study, maybe one other thing get them to commit to one more thing with you and then the next time you see them do it again and do it again and do it again and pretty soon you'll just be walking on this road together
0: um and frankly i mean Society longs for and aches for relationship. You know, we, we all want to get together. We set our Facebook uh, events up and nobody comes. And we, we try to be invitational. We wait for people to invite us to things. And just something about our society is isolating. And so while you're, after you've befriended them and you've invited them, it's hard to say no to a
1: personal invitation. To anything. You know, I think it's a great point. We look often at how bad things are in our society, but that's a real moment of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's this line Tony Eslin said just off the top of his head one time at a conference I was at. He said that the devil has promised people steak and fed them cardboard. Mm -hmm. That we thought it would feel better than this to sin, and it just doesn't. And so we live unhappy lives You know, Thoreau calls them these lives of quiet desperation, in which we're going through the motions of things that don't really make us happy, and in which we're intensely alone in it. Something like 10% of men report having no close friends. Mm -hmm.
0: I saw this meme that said, Jesus walking on water was nothing. I'm I'm amazed at the miracle of him having 12 close friends in his 30s. (laughs) Exactly.
1: And I think a lot of us relate to that. I think even a lot of Christians relate to that. So this is one of the beautiful things about this is it forces you to be intentional about friendship when it's so much easier not to be, but it's so much more satisfying to be intentional in that way. There are a couple of guys who I follow up with. I try to make a point of meeting with them every month. And the thing is, I genuinely enjoy their company and they genuinely seem to enjoy mine, but if we weren't intentional about it, we would just let life get in the way. Mm-hmm. So we've got these
0: steps. We develop a relationship. We befriend them. We, uh, we invite them, follow up. And then really that following up becomes a pattern where we accompany them. Now we've got a, a pretty solid discipleship relationship going on. What's that last step?
1: Yeah. So the last step is in some ways the counterintuitive one, or the only one that isn't sort of obvious. Hopefully, everything I've said so far is kind of intuitive, where once you hear it, you're like, oh, right, of course, that makes sense. But the last step is the one that I think we're actually the worst at, which is to empower them. Mm -hmm. Because maybe we have accepted personally that we can't just be passive disciples sitting at the feet of our Lord but we have to be apostles that also go and bring him to others and bring others to him. But where we often fail, even the small whatever percentage of Catholics that get that much often forget that we need to help other people do this as well. So when I say empower, I mean that when the moment is right in their journey, which may be at whatever place based on where they are and where they're headed. Teach them how to do everything I just described. Teach them how to be disciple-makers.
0: We've been talking today with Joe Heshmeyer about building that relationship of disciple-making, uh, fulfilling Christ's call to us to go into all the world and make disciples. Joe, thanks for joining us today.
1: Well, it's been my pleasure. Thanks, Timothy.
0: There's more of that conversation with Joe Heschmeyer. We post a couple of extra questions to him, available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com where you'll find all of our archives, but you also will find the Patreon link where you can go and support the work we do here. Help us to bring this show week in and week out, and get extra content in the process. Let's quickly turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and Church History. Our Scripture reading this week comes from tomorrow's Gospel. Uh, And this harkens back to the Ascension, but it's closely tied in with Pentecost and with Trinity Sunday and with everything else that's going on. It's all very tightly related. And our reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had ordered them. When they all saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. Then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. "...and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, until the end of the age." That reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew. A reading from church history comes from a treatise against heresies by St. Irenaeus. When the Lord told his disciples to go and teach all nations and baptized them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He conferred on them the power of giving men new life in God. He had promised through the prophets that in these last days he would pour out his Spirit on his servants and handmaids, and that they would prophesy. So when the Son of God became the Son of Man, the Spirit also descended upon him, becoming accustomed in this way to dwelling with the human race to living in men, and to inhabiting God's creation. The Spirit accomplished the Father's will in men who had grown old in sin and gave them new life in Christ. Luke says that the Spirit came down upon the disciples at Pentecost after the Lord's ascension with power to open the gates of life to all nations and to make known to them the new covenant. So it was that men of every language joined in singing one song of praise to God, and scattered tribes, restored to unity by the Spirit, were offered to the Father as the firstfruits of all the nations. This was why the Lord had promised to send the Advocate. He was to prepare us as an offering to God. Like dry flour, which cannot become one lump of dough, one loaf of bread without moisture, we who are many, could not become one in Christ without the water that comes down from heaven. And like parched ground which yields no harvest unless it receives moisture, we who were once like a waterless tree could never have lived and borne fruit without this abundant rainfall from above. Through the baptism that liberates us from change and decay, we have become one in body. Through the Spirit We have become one in soul. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of God came down upon the Lord. And the Lord in turn gave this spirit to his church, sending the advocate from heaven into all the world, into which, according to his own words, the devil too had been cast down like lightning." If we are not to be scorched and made unfruitful, we need the dew of God. Since we have our accuser, we need an advocate as well. And so the Lord in his pity for man, who had fallen into the hands of brigands, having himself bound up his wounds and left for his care two coins bearing the royal image, entrusted him to the Holy Spirit. Now, Through the Spirit, the image and inscription of the Father and the Son have been given to us. And it is our duty to use the coin committed to our charge and to make it yield a rich profit for the Lord. That reading comes from the Treatise Against Heresies by St. Irenaeus. And we talked about this a little bit with Joe, that if we are going to be fruitful in our evangelization efforts, but even in our own lives, we have to have the due of the Spirit, as St. Irenaeus called it. We have to have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have to be a Pentecost people before we can ever fulfill the mission of the Ascension. And this is the very reason why at the Ascension, Jesus told them that they needed to wait. They needed to wait and pray for the Holy Spirit. Pray for the Advocate who I will send to you, And they did. They waited for that gift that came from the Father. They waited. And then, after receiving the Spirit, they could fulfill that mission. You will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. So, as we are contemplating this week how to be disciple-makers, how to live out this call, let us realize that it starts with waiting, like the disciples did, waiting for the Holy Spirit, praying that the Holy Spirit would come into our lives, that we would recognize the Holy Spirit's movement and action in our lives, and that we would submit ourselves to hearing and obeying the voice of God that comes to us through the Holy Spirit. That's all the time we have this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Trinity more in depth. It's going to be a great conversation. Make sure to join us. This week's show is brought to you by Kristen and Carl Friend and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give
1: you peace.